Looks like Root Mythbusters was renewed for season two. <laughs> That's right. You thought we couldn't do it just because we weren't scientists and didn't prove anything. But you know what that proved? You're a fool. We're back, baby. Root Mythbusters. Take two. I'm wondering like, what the equivalent in Root land uh, of duct tape is. Do they just have duct tape in the in the woodland? <laughs> I think it's just like real thick spit, you know, like a vagabond just kind of spits on a stick, puts it on a shoe. He's like, there it is. It's a, yeah. It's a peg leg. Your shed is standing up now. <laughs> yeah, I've repaired it. So what's the problem that with this joint is it's held together with saliva. <laughs> so that's not going to work for you. Oh, hey, hey, that's a load bearing spit right there. You don't want to touch that. This shed's going to last two, three turns max, okay? <laughs> I actually uh, just introduced my manager at work to Root, uh, and he uh, played the Vagabond for the first time, which is how I onboard people. And nice. This is ha- this is what has happened three my three most recent teaches of Root, and it's been successful. This podcast started with me telling everyone, I teach Root well, but I've not converted a single person outside of the first four people I taught to play. But now... This strategy works, okay? You give them the vagabond. They they love being, you know, in the middle of the conflict. And then the vagabond's really good at scoring points. I don't put despot infamy on them. It's their first game. Mm-hmm, let them mm-hmm. let them be overpowered. Mm-hmm. And they uh and then uh my manager just like loved doing it and won the game. Nice. Yeah. And then they feel like, wow, I beat like I beat the guy from the root podcast. That's pretty good for my first game. And then I've got him now. Now I've got a root player I can call at night and be like, join this game of root. This would be a good, unique piece of merch for you is the quote with this voice. Well, I beat the guy from the root podcast. <laughs> I could give that shirt out to too many people now. I'll tell you that. But if you wear it and then you're wearing a sweatshirt over it and then after the first game, you take the sweatshirt off and they see their own quote on your chest. You're like, all right, game two. <laughs> That is a dream of mine is to take off a sweater to reveal a quote on a shirt that someone has already said to me. I've been wearing this shirt (laughs) under here for years, just praying for the opportunity. What is it? Down with escalators. Why would someone say that? I've been riding escalators for years, (laughs) just hoping to meet a protester who hated them. All right, folks. Welcome to Woodland War Machine. Uh... Episode 67. <laughs> we never tell the audience the number. Root Mythbusters 2. Uh, but before we get into all of the, you know, the mistruths and rumors that we left off the table in part one, we've got some written That's right. There is a lot happening in Rootland and uh, probably the most outstanding thing to come along recently is the underworld expansion is available on root digital we've mentioned this in the past i've been playing it basically non-stop uh i've been joining random async games <laughs> whoa that's brave yeah just just because i really love playing as the corvids in the the meta that's right now i also <laughs> yeah. love playing against the corvids because everyone tries to put down an extortion as their first plot and if they don't <laughs> go first you just guess it immediately it's amazing <laughs> uh i love it that's everyone is like a sweet summer child about the underworld um expansion right now and i'm i'm obsessed because you can really feel the meta kind of forming in a way that feels slightly reminiscent of uh when the physical underworld expansion was released and so to see that kind of 
the lessons being learned like again in time is like super fascinating, especially amongst uh, the digital kind of player set, which is a little bit different. The norms are slightly different. The play styles are kind of different, uh, but those factions play the same. And it, yeah, it's, it's been really cool. Also, people people are playing the moles in very counterintuitive ways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kyle and I are actually in an async game right now that uh, Jake timed out on. So we actually oh, just... Oh, no! We I just... went on vacation. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> I forgot you, about it. You played the birds, so it's like the least impactful faction AI, you know? They just like yeah. instantly turmoil themselves all the time. Oh, I'm sorry. Um but oh I was it was a lizards game. I got dealt the lizards, so I was not gonna pass up. I'm like, I don't care if Jake's a robot, I'm gonna finish this game. <laughs> um but yeah, it's 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 so great to have ad set in the app too. It's just oh it does add God, a little time the to the beginning of the game getting going. Fair I wish, you know, like of all the kind of like shortcuts that the app has made to like make async more possible, right? Field hospitals and like the way cats spend wood come to mind. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that it's like you don't just set up your faction and like discard your cards. Like I right. get that you want to like see what everyone where everyone's at, and I prefer that as a rule set. But it feels like you could pro- probably streamline that a bit, and you wouldn't lose too much of root. That does feel very in line with the priorities of the app. Yeah, I think for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but if you have not got enough Root Digital in your life, uh, there is a registration opening for the Root Digital League that is starting on May 1st. You can find sign up information details over on the Woodland Warriors Discord. The Root Digital League has been going strong for, I think, about two years now. Yeah, I think um, they said they're, uh, this is like the start of their 11th season. Whoa. Yeah, wow, it is It is really, really cruising. It's a really great thing. Um, I feel like it is a blind spot of this podcast a little bit. Uh, I don't know too much about it. Uh, every once in a while, I got Root Manuvis who uh, let me know about it, and I just kind of checked in on it recently um, and saw that signups were coming up. But yeah, it, it it's a very thriving thing. Go check it out, if, if you're, if, especially if you spend a lot of time on Root Digital. And there's a huge crossover between players doing really well in the current winter tournament and players who do really well and participate a lot in the Root Digital League. So I kind of see the Root Digital League as sort of the, like, off-season winter tournament training camp a little bit. <laughs> yeah. The gym. It yeah. really is like the gym. Yeah, you are playing against great players, quality games, everyone's very intentional, and, yeah, you just get to, you know, test your metal against some great players. Awesome. Also, uh, this is very exciting. SP Shaman has Root Jam 2023 starting yes. May first that's so exciting um so that is the fan faction competition but it's really like a fundraiser too it's we've participated in the past we've brought it up on this podcast many times the new one is coming up if you've ever been interested in like designing a fan faction and being exposed to that go check out root jam 2023 details for that are on the uh woodland warriors discord this is the leader games discord as opposed to the Good Time Society Discord with the Woodland War Machine channel where you can uh, get into digital games with us on our digital Looking for Games channel. No promises I'll still be in the game. No, no, Jake will time out. (laughs) If you see Jake's name, you run. (laughs) Just ask him if if he's going to be on vacation at any point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's it, right? That's all that's been happening in the world of Root? Oh, wait, no. We're in the midst of the winter tournament. That's right. 
Uh, we are There's been so many games coming thick and fast that I don't know how recent these games are, but we're picking up where we left off in our last episode of recapping the game because we do want to give at least a brief recap, say, you know, what factions were in them, which one won, who won. Um, so, Kyle, give us that tournament recap. I'm going to be 100% real with you guys. Round two is over, but we still have some games from round two to recap. And just so that you're going to still listen to this podcast, I'm only going to do like about 10 or so. All right. So let's yeah. go through them. It's round two. We got the winner's bracket game for on the lake map. Uh, this faction mix was the thief, the corvids, the lizards, the moles, and the badgers. That's right, five players mixing it up on the lake map. That's a crowded board, if you think about it. A lot of yeah. warriors yeah. around. Uh, you know, two big kind of strong army factions, plus the lizards and the corvids. That's a lot of, a lot of meeples around. Uh, shout out to McWarmaker, Thuey, and Pliskin, and Cryo. These are all great players slugging it out. Um, at the end of this game, it was a kind of a surprise come from the middle of the pack badgers win so congratulations wow. cryo this one was a really fun finish badgers on lake map that's impressive yeah i mean it was a mess it was really fun <laughs> um a mess in, in the sense player. that like all these players are really kind of keeping each other from yeah. getting a huge advantage you know really putting the pressure on yeah we had round two losers back at game nine on the winter map this featured the cats the lizards the eerie and the moles and we had another eerie victory on the winter map. So congratulations to Enamored uh, for that bird's win. Doesn't it feel like every time somebody starts like seeing a tournament trend that's immediately bunked in like the next round of the tournament? Like wasn't it like percent. birds weren't doing well and now birds are doing really well? Otters yeah. too, right? It was like no one was choosing otters. Then otters are chosen a lot and doing well. Well, we had we had some otter picks kind of more in this the second portion chapter two of the winter tournament because mm -hmm. uh, round one they were kind of neglected and didn't do very well but put a pin in that because we're gonna we're gonna touch back okay. on that uh misconception a little bit later round two losers bracket game 10 took place on the lake map and here we had the corvids the woodland alliance the cats and the moles this one was a pretty balanced faction mix and this was a corvids win Wow. So congrats to G Flash yeah. for pulling off a Corvitz victory on the lake map. Nice. No easy feat, especially when you don't have a lot of space to work with. Round two, losers bracket game 11 took place on the autumn map. We had the Woodland Alliance, the Otters, the Moles, and the Lord of the Hundreds, and the Cats. Another five player game. Ooh, that is and, a lot of warriors. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I actually think that the River Folk tend to do well when they get to function as an insurgent faction. Yes. When they're in a situation where there's only one other red faction around, they sort of Oof, have to for yeah. uh yeah, they have to use their forces to do a lot more active kind of militant stuff on the map. But in this situation, they get to kind of just chill and be insurgents. And it's the auto map which has five clearings that touch the river, which mm -hmm. is always a huge boost for the river folk. So a great pick overall just kind of knowing that faction mix and they were second in turn order. All signs point to a great game, and indeed, the River Folk won. So congrats to Douglas. Well played. Yeah, another another thing on that, um, like, if the River Folk and there's one other red faction, that's usually your customer, too. 
So it's yes. like your number yeah. one enemy and the person you need to buy from you. So that's a, a very tough situation to be in. You got moles, you got Lord of the Hundreds, you got cats. They yeah. are all looking to get an advantage over yep. each other. And so they're yep. going to look to you to help provide the fuel for that type of advantage. Yep, that's good. Round two, loser's bracket, game 12 took place on the lake map. We had the otters again, the badgers, the corvids, and the thief. Uh, this is Sam's game. Yeah, we recapped this last week. Uh, a, a big congrats to a, a well-played Corvid victory. We could not guess it to save our lives. <laughs> um, uh, Kelton Black as the Corvids, really great job. Really well-earned and a very eventful game. Almost everybody had a good shot at the end, and Kelton pulled it out. Good, good, good game. Well plotted. Um, <laughs> all right, so round two, loses bracket game 13, took place on the mountain map. This one had the Corvids, the Lord of the Hundreds, the Cats, uh, piloted by Bonsai, shout out to Bonsai, and the Ranger Vagabond, uh, piloted by Humberto. So shouts to those two. We've got the Vagabond coming through and winning this game. So congrats to Humberto for pulling it out. I feel like it's not an easy thing for the Vagabond to win these days. No. No, it's definitely not the foregone conclusion it used to be, and it really takes, like, total min-maxing to pull it out, it feels like, you especially in the to tournament, you know? very efficient yeah. with your play, make really strong strategic decisions pretty much every turn throughout the game. There is not a lot of wiggle room, which I personally really enjoy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a very puzzly faction now, which is, which is quite fun, and it rewards... Um, you know, a really skilled pilot. So great job, Humberto. Yeah. Round two, loser's bracket game 14 also took place on the mountain map. I mean, we've had a lot of lake map and a lot of mountain map. Do you think this has anything to do with the recent uh, Underworld digital release, which also featured the release of the mountain and lake maps? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people like the mountain map because of the Lost City, right? Yeah. I I, and I think that maybe people, you know... Uh, these are losers bracket games, you know? So maybe these people played on winter and just need a, a change of pace. They didn't like how it shook out for them on the winter map. They want to see if they can get an edge somewhere else. I don't know. Well, this mountain map <laughs> game really made good use of the Lost City as we would come to see. This one featured the Thief Vagabond, the Harrier Vagabond. That's right, a double Vagabond game. Uh, that was piloted by uh, Jer Bacon, so shouts. Uh, the Cats were in this game, piloted by JC. And the moles, piloted by Nico GB. Wow. I mean, this game was quite the clash, but wouldn't you know it, the cats played Fox Dominance and ended up winning the game with a dominance play. So congrats to JC. This game is actually really well worth checking out. It's yes, not it is. even that long, and it's just very entertaining throughout. So this is the second dominance win. It was also done by cats, and it was also a double vagabond game. Yeah, this is what like preceded me suggesting to Kyle to go for mouse dominance, right? Yeah, yeah you, had to, you wanted complete yeah. the Triforce, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so again, I mean, I think we kind of talked about dominance viability in episode sixty-five, but I think viability is always a, a loaded term. But it has happened twice now in very specific contexts. Yeah, Both times yeah. on the mountain map where the cats had access to the lost city. It's a huge benefit. It's right. a huge benefit in seeking that type of win. But it, yeah, it, that's true, Kyle. Lost city is the new element because all these other things have been in the game for years. You know, and yet we weren't seeing it. Um, I do think Lost City is a big part of it. And these 
special circumstances. Yeah, the you fact know, the, that two of the factions can't rule clearings. Yeah. <laughs> makes a big difference. Yeah, it does. <laughs> was it yes. that early window of dominance play? Was it like once they got to 11 points? Was that the it idea? Was pretty er- it was pretty early, yeah. Yeah. Super fun, yeah. And and just a lot of entertaining players uh, involved as well. So the the banter. You're a fan <laughs> of banter. It's good. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> so uh, we had round two. Loser's Bracket Game 15 taking place on the winter map. Finally, a sensible map. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so we're back on the winter map. We had the cats, the corvids, the moles, and the river folk. Now, in this case, the river folk are sort of functioning more in that insurgent role, which should be good for them. They are on winter map, which can be a little bit tough because everybody wants to control those center clearings. And yes, the river folk have access to both sides of the board, but they don't have access to as many clearings as they would like. In this case, we had a moles win. So big congrats mm. to Evelyn uh, for her victory on the winter map. Nice. Yeah, it's interesting nice to job, see. Evelyn. Like we... we have seen a slight resurgence in river folk popularity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the struggles are still there. They're still present. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you gotta be in the right situation for the, for it to work out. All right. We had round two returning to the winner's bracket. We had game five lizards, badgers, Woodland Alliance and Lord of the hundreds. This was my game. I played as the lizards and I did attempt a mouse dominance <laughs> and I almost You'd... got it. You guys, <laughs> <laughs> And I would have had it too if it weren't for those darn kids. Uh, Really, I do think that this game is fun to check out. And it's actually pretty instructive uh, from the perspective of the table pivoting to work together to stop a dominance play. And trying to calculate what the aftermath of stopping the dominance is going to look like. And it really felt like the player that had the best strategic imagination for what the aftermath was going to look like ended up doing really really well in this game mm-hmm. it was a lot of calculus of like trying to figure out how to keep you from like resurging at the same time like they all wanted to just do enough to stop you for a while mm-hmm. like at first they definitely stopped you but then afterwards they were like all right we still need to poke and prod him but we don't want to use too many resources to do so right yeah this is this is a fun game and i i did try and use my uh table talk charms to keep reminding <laughs> everybody that we're all still enemies here even though it's kind of a 3v1 situation <laughs> and it did not work but i still think that was the the right table talk approach but check that game out that was uh winner's bracket game five of round two round two loser's bracket game 16 took place in the autumn map we had the vagrant vagabond the lord of the hundreds Piloted by Super Murat. We had the Eerie and the Riverfolk. The Riverfolk, again, taking, uh, getting picked on the Autumn map and functioning in, in an insurgent role. And yeah. guess what? The Riverfolk won this game. Okay. So congrats, yeah. Jam Man. I'm so glad that you, you pointed out this kind of Riverfolk theme early on, Sam, because it's we've really gotten to see a few games where that's uh, been yeah. put to the test. Very interesting. All right. Round two, winner's bracket game six, Lake Map. We had the Eerie, the Ronin Vagabond, the Moles, and the Lord of the Hundreds, Shouts of Nitro Rev. This one on the lake map was a Vagabond win. Mm, nice. Congrats, Cosmic Cant. With uh, Ronin. Yeah, and uh, Jake, you uh, commented on this game, right? Yeah, yeah. We talked about it, I think, maybe an episode or two ago. It was a blast uh, to talk about. <laughs> and really fun table talk on that one as well. Because uh, that, was that a winner's game? That was a winner's, yeah, it was winner's bracket, bracket right? game. Yeah. yeah, they acted like winners, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's right just very very um 
uh, they just they, well, they also know what they're talking about, and they like BSing is so much more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> you know, love I, to see it. I appreciate the speed of it. You know. All right, our last game we're covering today is round two, losers bracket game seventeen. This one takes us back to the autumn map where it all started. We had the river folk uh, drafted by Opie's funeral. Shouts to Opie's funeral. We had the eerie, the Lord of the Hundreds, and the Badgers. Okay, now this one is actually kind of an interesting mix, right? Because it's three militant factions plus the river folk mm-hmm. on the autumn map. This right. should be really good for the river folk, right? Because right. it's three factions who could use the cards probably. But I think in this one, because the board got so crowded and got so kind of fighty, mm-hmm. that it was going to be tough for the otters to get momentum. Mm. And uh, off the back of a uh, really nice final turn, the Eerie Dynasties were able to clinch the victory. So congrats to Expect Feeding for taking this one. Nice. <laughs> What's that name? Expect Feeding. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Wow. Well, great tournament recap. Congrats to the winners. Uh, you know, commiserations to the losers. But if you are a loser, and I mean a real loser, someone who's been eliminated, I'm not talking about like Kyle's failed dominance gambit. I'm talking about a person who's been eliminated. You can cruise on over to the Good Time Society Discord under the Woodland War Machine channel. We've got a whole sub channel for the Cool Kids Losers Club. So come on and join. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Um, I'm sure I'll see you guys there soon. <laughs> All right. And the tournament continues apace. Go check it out over at Garrick Samples Games on Twitch.tv. Uh, there are games happening all the time. Round three has begun. And you can catch our games uh, live on Twitch. Guys, come on. This is, we're living in 2023. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Big shouts to Garrick. Keeping the flame alive. It's so good. So good. Okay. Everyone, grab your lab coats, put on your goggles, and start your Bunsen burners. It's time for Root Mythbusters Take Two. I almost said Season Two. I almost said Season Two twice. Welcome to Root Mythbusters Take Two. Well, Take Two means we're redoing the first ones. Um, do you mean Part Two? Redo. Oh, yeah, again, we're redoing the first no, one? No, 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 no. It is part two, I guess. But we're isn't there like a we're cool doing way to say part two? Chapter two? Volume two. Volume two. Volume Installment two? Installment two. <laughs> Installment? <laughs> series two. Welcome to Root Mythbusters series two. Uh, MB2 Judgment Day. <laughs> now, for those of you who didn't listen to the first episode, oh, I don't know why I said that. You did. No one's listening to Who this one Who? first. Why no one's listening around? to this one first. How did you get in here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, go back to episode 10. Work your way here. Uh, so for this one, we're obviously talking about these root myths or misconceptions, and we're going to put them to the scientific test. Let's start with a, with a low ball here, all right? <laughs> okay. Policing is only worth it if you score points. Myth or truth <laughs> I am gonna go out on a limb here and say that you should be very skeptical about policing if it's not gonna score you any points I think that's right be- obviously be- if the game depends on it whatever but like you gotta be like what's in it for me a little bit right Root is not a uh, unipolar game <laughs> 
It is a multipolar game. There are more voices at the table. And so if you take care of policing for no points, then that means somebody else at the table is free to use all their actions to get further ahead in the game, right? You're doing all the dirty work and somebody else is just stepping on you to get ahead, right? right. They're stepping over you and your opponent who've maybe like taken each other down a little bit. Right. But there are factions, entire factions, or situations where you might need to attack somebody and you won't score any points. This is the beautiful and delicate dance of Root, my friends. <laughs> I think, though, that there is a sort of, uh, like, good citizen responsibility. Yeah, you um, often mention this when we're playing. You often bring up how good of a citizen you are for policing You're always at asking all. us to give you the key to the city. And we <laughs> yeah, never know like, what it there means. There is no key, Kyle. <laughs> Listen, we know that in, in a dog-eat-dog mindset right in a like purely kind of geostrategic bird world <laughs> in a catty bird world you know every action you take to check somebody else means that somebody else can get ahead that's like the first concept but beyond that beyond that we all know that there are priorities that working together and each of us giving up a little bit we can actually keep the game going longer down the line so it's like a little bit of investment in policing for free, for example, uh, of the Vagabond now in the early game, even if it doesn't score you points, even if it means that another faction can, you know, take a couple extra actions here or there, it's still good for everyone who isn't the Vagabond going forward because it means that we don't get to that scary end game phase as fast. And we all get the chance to experience another couple rounds. Now, the problem is there's only a finite number of turns and root and you know you can't take it upon yourself to do all the good citizen work every round because then somebody else is going to win mm -hmm. so why i bring it up in every game that we play is because <laughs> i think there should be some compensation for doing the thing that keeps us all in the game longer there isn't a key kyle we can't <laughs> give it to you i'm sorry <laughs> No, uh, what do you mean? You you just mean you want your battles to net you points, right? In an ideal world, yes. But if you have to battle for no points just to keep another faction kind of checked or suppressed in the short term, mm -hmm. I think that you should be able to uh, earn yourself some table cred for that. Yeah. And that that table cred should actually mean something and do something. Yeah. Right? Like there should always be a benefit towards your policing is if it's not saying. points then it should be table cred right yeah well i mean i also think we're neglecting the whole idea of cost right like it, how much is it costing me to police in this case is totally, something i'm going to be doing yeah. anyway then i mean i'm going to make a big deal of it to the table anyway like <laughs> it's a big cost but like logistically it's i don't know this this myth to me i feel like we're sandbagging a little bit because the whole points thing is is awesome but if you're A, stopping somebody, and B, doing it on something you'd already be doing, like getting oppression or something, then it's fine. It's good. You need to, like, stop them anyway because they're the moles or whatever. And this is the kind of, like, third layer of this strategy cake. Oh, okay. I think that, like, if you can use a kind of um, on-surface level, a seemingly, you know, non-point-gaining police activity, mm -hmm. um, 
if you can use that to kind of further your position in like in terms of your presence somewhere on the board in terms of you know concentrating your warriors or something like that if you can find some kind of secondary benefit um on top of just you know checking a faction here or there then definitely go for that otherwise like you have to play this game where you're like putting in the minimum like required effort <laughs> right i feel like it's almost always this positioning is the is a benefit that maybe people won't notice that you're pulling off too yes i'll give right. you guys a great example in my game where i went for mouse dominance the woodland alliance marched across half the map yeah concentrated their warriors crossed the the kind of choke point at the bottom of the winter map and camped out in one of my clearings and just like attacked me and stuff now i don't i can't remember if they got points for that. they may have scored like one point but they left a bunch of their cardboard on the other side of the map like yeah this was a you know on the surface level totally bananas looking decision mm-hmm. but if you step back and you're like well what did they gain from doing this it's like they gained access to the other half of the board and that ultimately mm-hmm. is what ended up winning them that game oh so yeah. it's it's kind of interesting cool. if you're gonna put yourself out there to try and check a faction for no points Try and see sure. how much value you can squeeze out of that. <laughs> well, yeah, it depends. Some factions are more positional than others, right? Sure. And like like we said, I think there's like four factions that you kind of have to punch and you can't expect to get points out of, right? Vagabond's the most obvious one because you just can't get points out of it. Mm-hmm. Riverfolk, maybe yeah. you get one point, but you also might not even. You just kind of have to take care of some of their worries. You don't even have to get rid of them all. Um the badgers mm-hmm. you might hit a way station if you're really lucky you can get one of those sweet sweet relics but usually they hoover them up and recover them in the same turn yeah and then the moles and the moles yeah maybe there's a tunnel but a lot of times with the moles you just gotta hit like two moles right right um just just to make them work for it a little bit you know so is so this myth is busted because it feels like we keep going back and forth, but then we're just saying how easy it is to police people. <laughs> no, I'm saying those those ones you don't get any points for, so you just have to like expect that. And then there's factions that really can't spare the battle actions. Yes, right, or or even get them. <laughs> right, lizards at the top of the list. Cats, crows, crows, kinda. They they want the points. They they're not going to do a lot of battling without points for right. sure. They're scavengers. They want those extra right. points. Well, they usually only have one or two crows, so it's hard for them to battle, yeah. too. Yeah. I think those are the the main limited. Oh, and then badgers are just kind of restrictive. They right. will battle, but... It depends how their timing of their tokens goes, because they could always devout knights into it and feel a little bit more comfortable. But Yeah, yeah. Badgers, yeah. Badgers are just weird. I, I saw a person play the badgers for the first time, and their head nearly exploded. It was awesome. Yeah, I don't blame them. I think this myth is fully busted because if you just take the opposite view really quick and say that like, okay, sure, never battle (laughs) unless it's for points. Well, then all you're doing is those four factions we mentioned. You're just letting them get further and further ahead and eventually they'll win the game and they'll outpace you. So I I think this myth is fully bustable. I think that the interesting part about this myth is thinking of the ways that you can actually benefit, even though you're not scoring any points and benefit in a way that might not be so obvious to the rest of the table especially if you're focused on the table talk stuff of like trying to get table cred and all that yeah all right jake policing is only worth it if you score points myth obliterated (laughs) all right (laughs) great 
Here's one that I think is fun. The Vagabond ruins the game. (laughs) (laughs) I know that this is that, you know, I think from a more casual point of view, people who've played Root probably less than 10 times might come to this conclusion. Sorry to interrupt you, but I think it's people that have played exactly 10 times because it's like they're at the point where they've lost to the Vagabond multiple times. Like, what? What is this? This isn't a faction. This is an ass who's just wandering around taking our things. And when we hit him, guess what? We get no points. He leaves no cardboard. I understand. Yeah, it's exactly 10 games when you find this frustration. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you join the Discord and you ask, what's going on? How is there still how are they still allowed? I tried yeah. to stop him and then he beat me using a totally different scoring system. Like what the heck? <laughs> um I yeah, here's the thing about the Vagabond is I think in a vacuum, the Vagabond is the best faction, right? Because it no one is incentivized to hit you for points. And when you hit people, you get points for every warrior you're removed. I'm talking rules as written vagabond. Sure, yeah. yeah, yeah in the correct. vacuum of, yeah, of just battle. And in, in, a, in a world where we're yeah. just racing to 30 victory points. Yeah, everyone right. is doing their best to race, right? I think the Vagabond is maybe the fastest racer. Maybe Badgers is now up there, but you really have to know what you're doing with Badgers. Um, so I could see that in that world. Yes, I could see the Vagabond ruining the game because it's like this faction isn't as balanced maybe as the others. Uh, in the same way, you could be like, the crows are solvable or the lizards are bad, right? Right. Um, but this game of Root exists with a ton of player interaction. And the actions of those players will dictate who wins the game. Not the fact that you score slightly faster than another faction. Because if we all know that, then we can balance accordingly. And that's like the big second part of getting into Root. That's games 11 through 800, (laughs) which is just like learning exactly how much to slow everyone down to basically make, again, we always say this, make sure nobody wins this game. That's the goal is to have the most. Yeah, it's learning tempo as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else on, I mean, there are ways that the Vagabond feels like it ruins the game, right? Uh, well, yeah, it's also, it is frustrating. There, there is only one of them and they only can be hit in one clearing at a time, right? Mm-hmm. That's, I understand that frustration. Like even after 50 games of, of them. Right. So it's it's always the table talk hurdle of like the, the, the players who experience know to hit them. But if, if not, you have to convince people that you need to. Yeah. That's a hard thing to convince. Yeah. It's really frustrating when it's like, Oh, they're going to win on their next turn. So everybody attacks them and we damage every single item the Vagabond has. So they lose a whole turn, right? They go into the force and now they're stronger than before. And there's no way they're not going to win. You know what I mean? Yeah, it just feels like it has that timer. Also, having your turn skipped kind of sucks as the Vagabond. Like it feels bad. Even though you're doing good in the game, it feels like, well, everyone else gets a whole nother turn now. <laughs> so in that way, I could see the Vagabond ruining your game, you know, if you were mm, the Vagabond. I've never thought about the experience of the, the Vagabond ruins the game for the Vagabond as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, this is very much obviously the most subjective of all the yeah, myths yeah, we yeah, talked yeah. about because it's literally, I think, an opinion. <laughs> but <laughs> but I we're think, applying science. I just, I think it's understandable. It's like a phase you go through. Yeah. It's yeah. So I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Myth understood. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Here's a fun myth. 
The lizards want to sanctify your buildings. Oh, that cult. What are they doing over there? They probably want to convert all my warriors and and change all my buildings into flowery gardens. <laughs> so this is... I, let me see if I know why this is not true. It's because an open building somewhere is easily pickoffable and fear of the faithful is such a punishing thing that there's no incentive unless they can protect that garden, right? Yep, and that's been this week's episode <laughs> of Woodland War Machine. Thanks for everybody joining. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean... It's, when you first get the lizards, you also think you want to do this, yes, right? Yeah, it's points, and it's a garden. Oh my gosh, and it's so cool to convert someone's building, especially when you're like, oh, guess what, moles? You're going to lose a leader because I'm doing this, or uh-oh, Eerie, I'm going to turmoil you with this. And it's cool, but then it doesn't really help you win the game. Right. I've been talking a lot to Nev lately. Shouts to Nebuchadnezzar. Um, because he is working on a big old lizard's guide. And he keeps asking my opinion kind of basically on going deep with lizards, right? Choosing a, like two or three clearings and stacking up six lizards in those clearings and protecting the double slot garden clearings, right? Versus uh, having like a couple single slot clearings where uh, people might not... You know, where if you lose it, then you've only lost one card from your hand. Like, kind of like mitigating the loss, but taking up more area. Yeah. And it just, I always tell them, I'm like, the thing is, is if if people just choose to battle you a bunch, like, it doesn't really matter what strategy you chose. You're going to get hit. Yeah. And, like, it's going to hurt a lot either way. Like, there's not a good way. The lizards don't bounce back very well from being hit. Um even though they have, they, it seems like they have a mechanism to bounce back. It's just randomly determined where that gets to go. <laughs> so, um, so what was your advice? Uh, I I'm in the uh, a, a few clearings build up the lizards tall. I feel like yeah, tall for sure, right? Because if you, you're gonna, you, as your point was, you're gonna get hit probably anyway. So at least do do the points well. Yeah, and if if you're gonna come in and take out six lizards and get my gardens. Well, then I'm going to get six acolytes from it, you know, and that's something to do with, you know, like that can start the rebuilding process. If I have a couple lucky cards in my hand left over from there, I can I can recover Uh, and the outcast has to be right. But yeah, Um, to be fair, this myth does. I mean, as you said, the the, the moles being the juicy target as the moles, it's okay to believe this myth because (laughs) it's your it's your your weakness. Yeah, I not that it's going to happen because we talked about why it's not logical for the lizards to do it but like if there's a if there's a situation yeah i mean if you're gonna win the game unless the lizards do it then the lizards will let out a deep sigh and spend their precious resources saving the game for everyone they won't win and if the if the outcast is going their way and they make that crusade happen within that turn to protect it like it's it's very doable yeah yeah it's true yeah yeah if you can relocate yeah but yeah yeah. But you, you have to be on the watch for it, but they're not eager to do it because it's a no. big it's a big move. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like what I see oftentimes is that the lizards will have the acolytes in the bank. The outcast will be just right. Mm-hmm. There is a great looking building just <laughs> camped out on the oh, right yeah. type of clearing. Nice and juicy. And the lizards will just be like, no conspiracies this turn. Let's let's get to daylight. <laughs> you know, they just kinda like bank it up. I, I do feel like there's the strategy as lizards to kind of Keep your powder dry, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, don't sanctify until you really, really need to break the glass, and then yeah. like you, you know, smash the glass, get the thing out, and you know, do the, do the conversion that you need to do. The lizards for a long time have just been like, we're just here to worship. 
Okay? <laughs> yeah. We're just going to worship here. We want no trouble. <laughs> I would love a favorable outcast, but I understand if you can't. Just <laughs> let me tend to the garden. I okay? Yeah, I feel like lizards, you have to do so much table talk, and that table talk is like, Please. Listen, I'm not going to do anything. I promise. <laughs> I just want two turns where I can just put warriors in this clearing. That's all I need. I just want to sit and lick my own eyeball. That's all I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The lizards want to sanctify your buildings? <laughs> all right. Yeah, saliva. <laughs> Uh, how about this? Two player isn't root. Two Ooh. player ain't root. <laughs> Boy, these are this is subjective town today. And oh uh, yeah, it's, it's, what is it? Series two? What did we decide? Yeah, yeah, series two. Okay. Uh, yeah, the myths are um, bold <laughs> this time around. Uh, yeah, so two player isn't root. Okay, you know, um, for this one, I will say that it says root on the box, yeah. and I looked at the board, and it also says root, so I think yeah. it's still root, right? Yeah, and if someone comes to us and is like, I played my spouse in root last night, we're like, no, you didn't. We don't say that. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, and I'm not trying to gatekeep. Here we go. But it's a different <laughs> game, right? It's a different, it? it is a different game. It is, it different. is also called root. Yeah. But it is an entirely different game. Yeah, it's very unfamiliar. It's probably the most unfamiliar of any game that I could think of that I play. It's like the two player is such a wildly different experience than the four and five player. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. rhythm feels completely different. And, you know, the, the whole part of Root where it's, you know, multipolar and these forces kind of through struggling kind of balance one another. That dynamic is gone uh very small and <laughs> yeah. two-player root yeah now my question is if you add hirelings to the mix does that make it more root more root like in nature i think what's so key about the root element of it as defined by the root opinion, of it all the root of it all is, is <laughs> i mean is the table interaction and there's yeah. there's only don't help your enemy right yeah that's that's the only that's the only table talk there is. I guess suppose if you're playing otters versus cats, there's some <laughs> table talk there. You know, <laughs> it's like, will you buy from me? It's like, okay, I'll buy from you. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the prices would have to be. It's so know? funny to have a thought of a of a of a two body <laughs> war, and one faction of the war are the merchants that supply the goods to their opponents. And they're just constantly oh, we negotiating. Fight these up otters. Price. Hang on, I gotta go buy some weapons from them. One second. <laughs> Here's the shipment of weapons. Yeah. They're going to use them against us. Have fun, guys. Here you go. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's an absurdly different game, but it is still root for sure because there are still so many elements of the asymmetry that you get to play. And there's so many aspects of different factions that you get to try. That said, it's, it's just not the same thing we're talking about. So I, I imagine a lot of people who listen to this podcast actually do play a lot of two-player root. Um, and by necessity, probably don't get a ton of like multiplayer games in, but want to. It's a but hard game our, to get together. None of our discussions really revolve around this. I think we should probably do a two-player episode one of these days, right? Yeah, we, we will do it. We'll do a deep dive. I can't remember the last time I played two-player Root. I think it was against Kyle. Um, I think we did like a Moles Cats, like, and then we swap them and add up That's the fun. scores or whatever that's a really good way to do it is to play a faction matchup then play two games and swap that's great yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Add the scores. That's interesting. Yeah. There was a uh, two-player root tournament, I think, maybe two years ago. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. That was that great. Was interesting. That yeah, was super I, I fun. Yeah. Some games from that We saved. had proto-hirelings in that tournament, remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it, it was, was like hirelings, the but it was in the playtest play version. version. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah, not even the print and play. It was the playtest version. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, two players definitely maybe uh, worth investigating from our end because uh, there are some very interesting dynamics and some stuff that can be pretty counterintuitive. Certain factions don't work the way that they do in four player. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, I'm not wild in, about three player. Really? Uh, but three player makes is closer a much closer three player is way closer especially yeah. one three player with hirelings is well, is is fine yeah 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 I, it, I think it's that's, doable i think yeah i think we can split a lot of hairs because we also don't talk about five player very much but it's a pretty valid way to play the game but like i think i think two players where we're drawing the line in terms of true differences right yeah just because yeah the the zero sum quality of a two player yeah. game is the wildly different portion yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. And just the way factions need to interact. Two-player pushes Root into a really extreme version of itself. Yeah. That I'm the Woodland Alliance. Okay, I'm just going to be over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, could you imagine two vagabonds playing a game of Root against each other? Like, isn't that... That would just be so weird. It's, it's like the lamest D&D session ever. <laughs> <laughs> There's no monsters to fight. Just go around giving speeches. Oh man, <laughs> it's a bard. A bard. He made all the episode. tea already. Well, then let's just uh, kind of like addendum this to five player is the future of root. Ooh. Oh, that's the myth. That's the myth. Or oh, who says this? The truth. Is this a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember in the semifinals of last year's winter tournament that were five player. There were a lot of compelling games, and a lot of people started to say, "Is five player." the future of root i don't know i think it's it's kind of a cool idea it's just root already takes a long time yeah especially at the competitive level i right. i've been playing locally in person i i played two games of root and two other games in a night all right we were just breezing through these games of root and and I, and I understand if if the competition is there, you want to sit there and think about your moves. Kyle was talking about how the competitive chess games take like six hours, <laughs> you know, insane. Yeah. And that's only two player. So like, yeah, I, I understand why it takes so long. And I think early on in this podcast, we're like, take your time, like, make sure you know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and I hear that, too. But I also do enjoy a good snappy game of root. Um, yeah, that usually comes with a lot of experience, though, you know, because absolutely. Yeah. in the casual setting, like, I, I think it's fun to, you know, compete and try, but also to understand the context of what you're doing. This is a game session. We're going to play other games like, yeah, you know, no need to get too sweaty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the interactivity in five player is very interesting because I do think that there is a lot more battling and checking your opponents uh, in a five-player game, simply because it's just more crowded. This gives like policing opportunities a um, much higher occurrence. You're closer yeah. to your opponents throughout, especially with yeah. ad set in the mix too. Mm-hmm. I just think that five-player can become so rich um, in terms of the table talk kind of goes up one exponential level. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's a lot of nuances with regard to who your neighbors are, mm-hmm. um, you know, at Twilight Imperium, 
is a game where you have a minimum of six players, right? Yeah. I'm not well, sure how firm that minimum is. I, but, I mean, yeah, know. it's is is four player really ti is the myth like i mean uh-huh yeah, yeah it's, it's six you can play three player if you if yes. you feel like it uh a six player is standard you do not need six players to play right. and actually it actually now goes up to eight as well right yeah yeah you can, you can go beyond that but yeah so it, it to me it's like five is the point at which you really have a sense of like who your neighbors are mm-hmm. and there's somebody who's just kind of very far away and you're not going to be interacting with right away and so it changes the dynamic socially to where you're occupying an area with other people around yeah and then there's people who you're you're not interacting with so much and so sometimes you make alliances with these faraway people sometimes you're like trying to uh get a 2v1 going in your neighborhood like it's it's really interesting um and the crowded board just adds to the kind of pressure cooker of it all yeah yeah it's interesting that there can be like a team of two and a team of three you know in terms of like working towards an interest together or you know or 4v1 you know like if you really stick your neck out at an early lead like that's not gonna hold there are four <laughs> other but there's a whole other game of root that's gonna come and get you you know <laughs> um so yeah i i do enjoy five player games i think jake's right the thing the negatives to a five player game are the time and the downtime there's also a whole realigning of what the factions can do in five player games like lord of the hundreds Ugh. is is a real change for sure. And actually same kind of with, I would think, uh, Woodland Alliance, double vagabond games are kind of different now. I mean, yeah, everything. I mean, I know we need to do a two player episode, but we really should do a five player episode. Yeah. I think a five player episode is crying out to be done. I also think there's some possibility in this myth. I think it could be a future of root. Mm hmm. I we're looking at the numbers now for RootCon tournament, and there's a very decent chance that it'll be a five-person game in a round, right? It's a certainty. There okay. is going yeah. to be five-player games. Okay, so I'm we have to, to avoid three-player games. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a reality we live in. So we we should address it. Um, I'm going to be yeah. checking out those tables for sure because I find five-player games always um, take very strange twists and turns especially when headed towards the end game uh strange bedfellows it, mm-hmm. it, all kinds of weird stuff happens in five player it's really fun mm-hmm. no dominance cool. though probably not <laughs> i mean probably not all right how about this one? Oh wait jake uh two player isn't root and five player is the future of root roots the uh, myth possible <laughs> you myth? got one job on this episode jake <laughs> Myth possible. Okay, all right, whatever. All right, here we go. Uh, try this one on for size. Um, as the Lord of Hundreds, you should all out attack every turn. Okay, this is phrased like I'm supposed to refute it. <laughs> well, yeah. I think it, I think the key is all out attack, right? Yeah. So does that does that define as like real? relentless not the motion but just do you ever like forgo a battle action he's a giant warlord he's painted bright red what else are you supposed to do he's a lord of war yeah attack every turn yeah i don't see the problem with this i don't know if this is a myth yeah is there anything that any way to convince me otherwise that you should just do this every turn (laughs) i mean i think you what you need to prioritize is oppressing clearings right right it feels points. like you can also do that and attack every turn. 
Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Those two things like don't go against each other. I feel like there's some pragmatic part of my brain that is just raising its hand in the back of class and just waiting patiently for me to call on it. But it's literally like, <laughs> so overextending yeah. with, right. specifically with the warlord pawn itself yeah. can lead to another faction totally resetting you, right? Like yes. if you lose the warlord in battle then you have a slow turn coming up because the following turn you have to re you have to anoint someone from your existing troops right right yeah, you don't get the warlord recruits uh, you kind of get transported to somewhere else on the board um things get a little weird for you for that turn so i think avoiding overextending is a consideration that's valid if you go in with some great odds on on a battle towards the end of your your marching around and someone ambushes you, <laughs> you know, the odds are suddenly different. And then suddenly your warlord could be by themselves, two hits from the ambush and two hits from the battle. And all of a sudden he's alone or near. I'm advancing in the opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> Not a retreat. Um, I mean, move, I guess, move, move. What, what's the, what was the phrasing you said? You, all out attack? All yeah. out attack. Every turn. Well, Yeah. Attack attack often. <laughs> attack frequently. But yeah, haven't I mean, we also seen games where the Warlord gets totally kind of kettled by the other factions and is just kind of running around in a little circuit of three or four clearings, getting, you know, one to two points a turn from a press? I feel like that's a usually a, like, a situation of moods not coming out properly or uh, loot pr- potentially not coming out properly or a combination thereof. Right. But not necessarily from, or just from being policed, odd, and they're just trying to, like, keep it above, keep their heads above water. Right. Maybe this one is attack every turn, but be smart about where you're attacking and, like, how you're doing it. Like, what what should the priority be if it's not attacking? Uh, I mean, building strongholds. Okay. Yeah, I guess you so. Know, yeah, filling out um, the back line with strongholds is definitely important. Yeah. It, it, the thing is, this faction is just designed to to have free battles essentially right. like you will never be i mean you will uh want more battles because you'll accomplish a lot through battling <laughs> um but you will have more battles than anyone else at the table usually i've played a bunch of games as the world of recently because mm-hmm. it's it's one of the new factions that has really kind of piqued my interest mm-hmm. strategically because you can play their opening a lot of different ways and uh, you can kind of choose how you're going to position yourself with a lot of freedom, mm-hmm. uh, which I love. I love like having an active plan or like position. So one thing that um, I think about strategically with this faction now, and that puzzles me and I'm not certain about is whether it's better to build up and focus on strongholds in the beginning to build a rat ball and then just go and kind of cannonball your way through a bunch of clearings in the mid game or whether it's better to stake out that territory right away claim those clearings make people come and fight you for them and then only once you've kind of claimed that early territory then start to kind of focus on building those strongholds it's i really don't i'm unsure of which one is superior at the moment I you you should ask someone else because I it's the only faction I haven't won with. 
Um, in fact, I'm going to transition us into this other one that's related. The Lord of Hundreds is overpowered. I've seen people, you know, when, especially when it first released, people are like, how my cousin who recently got into root texted me and was like, oh, my friend played the Lord of Hundreds. I think he was cheating because he was like doing all the stuff. Um, and I understand because it's the most aggressive faction in root. Yeah. Um, but if, you know, as people who have played a lot of games, you learn how to make an unappealing target, right? You right. put a bunch of warriors guarding a building, so that doesn't look like a good idea uh, for the Lord of Hundreds to come and get. Um, so I, you know, in terms of the Lord of Hundreds being OP, I haven't experienced it personally at all. I wish I would have, because uh, I haven't won with them, but <laughs> I do think uh, that it is, I've seen it uh, a lot on like BGG and stuff. I think once people kind of figure out the faction and stuff, it's definitely doable, but what do you what do you all think? Have you experienced the Lord of Hundreds being overpowered? Ooh, in certain faction mixes, it can be super duper strong. And I think on grindy slow maps, the Lord of Hundreds can kind of wear down or like wither away the other factions. Um and eventually it's super lopsided in the end, mm-hmm. and they're just scoring a bunch of points. Like no one else is left on the board. They've just like eaten everything mm-hmm. that is definitely possible when there's non-aggressive factions and the loot is going their way i don't know how to stop them honestly because oppression <laughs> they don't really worry about they just keep clearing stuff right including cardboard yeah if they have a full horde it's really hard to do much about yeah, it it really is i think lord of hundreds is op if you fuel their engine by crafting items and yeah if you yeah, if yeah. you similar to the vagabond like there's keeping things out of the hands of the warlord out of their horde mm-hmm. is a great way to keep their engine from overheating. Right. So in terms of them being OP, like I think they are OP once they're fully, fully online, or at least they're very strong and difficult to stop. They're P. They gain that momentum. They're just P. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what do we think? Jake, uh, you should all out attack every turn as Lord of the hundreds and they're overpowered. Myth oppressed. <laughs> there we go. That was a good one. Okay. Let's do one of these beginner myths. Okay. How about this one? The first game of Root happens to you. This is a myth that I have definitely propagated. Do you propagate a myth? I think so. Did I use that right? Yeah. Great. I've propagated this myth. The first game of Root happens to you. What, is, what does that mean? Uh, from my perspective, it's that um, you don't totally understand how it all went down the way it did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it was you a would... whirlwind of actions and asymmetry, exactly. and you were and... Fa- you were head down in your own board. And then when you looked up, the game was over, and you're like, "What? There's a lizard cult in the game?" Yeah, yeah. Somebody mm-hmm. won. Yeah, I, I I recently taught this game to my manager, like I said. And uh, how many times have you heard this in somebody's first game of Root? They they look at somebody's board and they're like, "I have no idea what you're doing." <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's I think that's a fun, exciting part of the game and like learning. Uh, even just learning any game, I love being yeah. like, "I don't know what's going on over there," but yeah. I guess I'll figure it out at some point. Um, but with Root, it's like uh, it is like playing four different board games against each other, and so I think that sometimes, yeah, the first time you see it all play out, 
You don't know what was a good move, when the game turned on a dime, you know, what were the pivotal moments. It's hard to know. Yeah. Yeah. It's often just so bewildering. (laughs) But I love that in Root, there's this kind of, um, it's not a rule or anything, but there's this kind of custom of narrating your turns. Mm Mm-hmm. You're saying like, okay, it's birdsong, I'm going to gather my funds, I'm going to blah, blah, blah. You know, any any faction that you are, you sort of talk your way through what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not required, but it is kind of a fun custom, especially for someone's first game of Root. They are just hearing this narration and they're like, what on earth is going on over there? They're like, all right, I'm going to put a mole in the burrow. Um, <laughs> like, I know the what? first time I heard someone say, all right, I'll perform conspiracies. I was like, okay, <laughs> need uh, to play this. Amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's fair unless you are a very experienced coin player or an experienced asymmetric player. Like, yeah, it kind of does happen to you. Yeah. I can't imagine if somebody told me like, oh yeah, I, I knew what was going on, like great move in that turn, I, <laughs> I, I just wouldn't believe it, you know? Um, the game is not meant to be understood in your first game. I think that's in the design. Yeah, I've I, I yeah, I've also met a few people who've played it a few times and it just didn't click with them, which is totally fine, obviously. Oh yeah. Um, but I it, I think it's also possible that multiple games of Root can happen to you, honestly, especially if it didn't click with you the first time and you might be more hesitant even in the second round. Uh, yeah, I I'm I'm gonna say like the first like ten games kind of happened, you know, like until you start well, to hate the vagabond. It, that's it, the turning point. You figured out the game. It depends if you're deep jumping like in the deep end with people who know meta and stuff like that. Then yeah, it's the first ten games. But if you're all figuring it out together with your friends, then you start to get the pieces together and figure out some systems pretty quickly. I think. Yeah. Because you're all going true. at the same pace. Yeah. Yeah. I almost put on this myth list. Um, Root is for everyone, but you kind of brought that up, Jake. So I, I, I think we should talk about it. That like the game of Root is meant for everyone, and I don't. I think this is a myth. Oh, I think yeah. it's certainly accessible in yeah. terms of its design, in terms of um, the kind of you know level at which you can approach the game. It's you know it's meant to be uh, so that kind of no matter who you are you can come to this game and play it, you know? For how complicated it is, it's very usable. You have a great faction board, and you just go down the faction board every turn. I think these are all... All the reasons you guys are talking about are reasons I think it it is a good game for other people. There's one thing that I think is, is a stopping point for so many gamers and non-gamers is that it's a war game. Right. And I think those are really hard for people to leap into because not only are they playing competitively, which some people are into, but not everyone. But even those that are, the competition comes from destroying your other players things, which I don't think a lot of people love. I know we do. We're like most of the listeners are like, what are they talking about? But (laughs) a lot of people don't like that aspect of it. Not that everybody plays Euros and stuff like that um, or just engine builders that are separate, but like actual fighting of soldiers or of warriors or whatnot that's a thing that a lot of people just that's not what they want to do they don't want to necessarily have a war so i think the asymmetry of it the theme all of the complexity i think it could be i mean obviously that's not for everybody but i think it could be for a lot of gamers but the war part of it is such a genre definer that i think Mm -hmm. it cuts off a large swath of people yeah Yeah, there's a major mechanical kind of core of root which is about you know 
beating up your opponent's pieces and uh that's just not always the vibe you know yeah yeah which is is great yeah that's totally great and actually one of the the things that i'm most thankful for about modern day kind of tabletop world is that that is embraced Mm -hmm. and that there is a just insane variety of types of games in the world yeah like qe is a great (laughs) game because it is kind of competitive it's kind of cooperative and it's kind of like a bluffing game but like i i don't know i just i love that there's all these different niches and i just think that root really nails its niche super well yeah um and that it's open to people new people coming into it uh but if that's not your thing that's also great that's great you mentioned qe let's talk about that at the end of the episode um but also <laughs> i'm sorry i just had to do that to joke <laughs> but i'll tell you what is what is actually accessible to everyone is that and that is the art of root everybody loves that art actually actually i did i at work i did run into somebody who was looking for a, a a war game they were looking for a game that like him and their friends they like to be mean to each other and i was like okay and they like played decently complicated games like terraforming mars or something i was like okay all right so you can uh you can this is root you know and i almost never recommend root to people just because it's like it's not for yeah. everybody I, yes. I have a family here i'm not going to try and recommend root um <laughs> but they but this guy's like no my friends wouldn't like that from the art he was dismissive oh, that yeah, like yep, uh-huh. because it doesn't look like it's gonna be and i'm like right and i showed <laughs> root and i showed scythe <laughs> and i was like this one's the nice resource management game to scythe and it has like this robot <laughs> in this yeah, like pasture. very dark very yeah. oppressive like <laughs> very heavy looking yeah. grim colors and i was like and this is root and this is one of the meanest games we have <laughs> like, <laughs> and uh and he did not buy it he was you know and yeah. and that's fair you know like you know aesthetics are are something for people but like um so i i, I debunked my own myth of root's art is for everyone but obviously <laughs> root is not for everyone. Well, that guy I am... was wrong too. You haven't mentioned that. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the customer is always right. I mean, yeah, except for that one time. Yeah, I don't know if he bought something though, so he might be wrong. <laughs> he brought my little scythe. <laughs> <laughs> my little scythe is my preferred way to play scythe. Really? Yeah. Sure. That's my hot take. You just said sure, dear. Busted. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jake, the first game of Root happens to you, and Root is for everyone. This myth isn't for everyone. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> All right, let's get back into some of these like actual gamey ones here, okay? Losing a bird card from the Badger's retinue is always bad. Okay, I'm going to get the trivial example out of the way. Yeah. If you're losing your bird card, because you're winning the game this turn, then like <laughs> that's obviously not bad. Yeah, yeah, we're not talking. So we, about we're that. like rule that out immediately. Yeah, yeah, we're ruling. Okay. It out. Besides that trivial example, losing a bird card from the Badger's retinue is very painful, right? It's it's a wild action for you on a particular step, and usually, if you're looking over at the Badger's retinue and you see that it's full of bird cards, you're like, oh, we might have a Badger's problem. Yeah. Right. So if you lose one of those bird cards, it makes sense that that would hurt a lot and be tough to replace potentially. So, I I mean, I think it's bad. 
So when is it when is it good? I guess is the question, right? That's what we've uh, been. So here's what I'll say: is like if you got a couple of them in that column, especially if you've already got one in your hand that you're just going to replace it with, and like it's not the beginning of the game, you know, like if you got a healthy retinue, you don't need a full retinue to win the game as the Badgers. You really don't. Okay. I saw I saw somebody play the Badgers for the first time recently, and they didn't realize that they should just kind of like empty their hand into their retinue every turn, you know? Right. Like, your cards are almost always more valuable there. But, they, so they had a pretty lean retinue and still accomplished almost winning the game. Like, so I do think that... Wait. I understand okay, yeah. where, where this myth comes from, you know, because losing a bird card is bad it, it you know it, it's the worst kind of card to lose because it's a wild one but losing cards in the mid to late game just isn't as big of a deal and so yeah. even if it's a bird card if especially if you're going to replace the bird card then it doesn't even matter to me like how, how many actions do you need like two or three moves three delves or two or three delves three recover moves Maybe like that's what we're looking for, like a pretty even split. I mean, yeah, that this seems like also a a pretty straightforward type of example, right? If you already have a full retinue, losing a bird card that you can immediately replace doesn't actually hurt that bad. No, I think the interesting thing to think about here, though, is sometimes you'll see the Badgers kind of like sacrifice a bird card in the retinue in order to do an early recover, mm. especially if it's like a three point relic. Yeah, and they don't control three clearings of that same suit. Right. They may decide to trade essentially a bird card for three points right now. Right, and I think there's kind of two situations where that makes sense to me. Here's the two situations. Situation one is you are camped out in one area of the board, and this is the last relic in this area. You got to move. You got to get out of town. Mm-hmm. Cross the board, migrate, find other pastures, and get more relics. Mm-hmm. So you know you have to clear out. So you need to pull up your way stations. You got to like get all your stuff across the map. This is one way to just like kind of finish like Pac-Manning your side of the board right now mm-hmm. and not waste another turn and uh, and pack your stuff and move on. And it's really helpful to be able to replace it from a card in your hand if possible. But so that's that's one example, which is more kind of positional in nature. The other reason is more defensive in nature, which is by trading a bird card for recovering a relic you can potentially protect that relic from being battled away. Yeah. Right. If your forces are limited, this is a good way to get cardboard off the map and away from the uh, kind of glinting eyes of your opponents or looking over there being like, Hmm. Yeah. So I think that it's a valuable trade uh, to make in certain moments of the game. Yeah, I, I'm going to push back a little bit on your first example. I think your second example makes a ton of sense because that's what I would be. I'd be like, Either I lose a bird card and get three points, or I might be giving two points to somebody else and they're going to come wipe my stuff out. Yeah. You know, like I do think like maybe losing the bird card is good. But in your first example, if you got a move, like that column is also move, you know, and a move at the end of your turn. So you like get a relic and then you can move it. Like a bird card in that final column is great for recovering, obviously, but it's also really strong for moving. So you can move from any clearing to a place where you can recover. 
Um, True. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, all these things are going to be so contextual, <laughs> obviously. Um, so I don't know. What do you think, Jake? Losing a bird card from the Badger's retinue is always bad. Yeah, actually, it is. I mean, that's not what you guys said, but I, I think it is still bad. Okay, wait. Talk to us about it. <laughs> I mean, gruff, none, there was never an example of uh, <laughs> there's never an example of like it being okay. It was just like here's the reasons you might have to do it, which I think are great reasons, but yeah. still. It's a net negative always. I suppose so. But Sorry, if, maybe I, not I, net negative given what you your example of like right. uh, of not providing cardboard or for right. moving or whatever. Right. Maybe not net, but right. it is always a minus. So that factor is what I'm talking about is true. I agree. I think it is a minus, but that I think it doesn't mean it's always bad. Because I, I think it can be good to protect your position even by losing a bird card. It's like you're kind of trading that bird card for security. Right, but you're trading. The, you're trading a negative thing, which is losing a bird card. I guess I'm, maybe it's a semantic thing that I'm doing, and I'm not, no, trying, to, I'm not yeah. trying to split hairs here. I'm no, just, yeah. I, I, and I think that it, I think it is, it doesn't always have to be bad because it can be perfectly neutral in that if I have three cards in my hand mm-hmm. and I'm going to draw four cards then I will be discarding two cards. So I might as well take Put another risky... bird card into circulation? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because I'm putting it into circulation either way. I mean, I guess I could be choosing a suited card from my hand, but, you know, Soup Kitchens is a bird card. I, I, who cares if that's in circulation? You know what I, I mean? I, I understand the point of there being a trade-off. I just think that when we're saying there's a trade-off, we're talking about the negative aspect of losing a bird card. But yeah, I'm not, but I, again, I'm, maybe I'm just... But you might be losing a bird card from overdrawing your hand. I mean, probably not a bird card, but you're going to be losing <laughs> cards from your hand. Yeah, that's kind of so champagne like, problems, too. Like, I don't know. It happens every turn with yeah, Badgers. Yeah. They draw four cards, yeah, usually, you know? So And then related kind of issue that you kind of hinted at, Jake. So there's two types of bird cards in the Badgers retinue. There are bird cards from the deck yep. uh, that everybody uses. And then there are faithful retainers, which are bird-suited kind of they're similar to the viziers of the Erie dynasties, right? right? Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. They are wild. There's three of them. They take up space in each of the columns of the retinue. Is it better to lose those or to lose the bird cards from the deck? It's better to lose the, what are they called? The faithful retainers? Yeah. It's better to lose the faithful retainers. Can, can you explain that? I, I, this is like such a, a fine point that I think is kind of funny. Yeah. Well, because when you lose a faithful retainer, the faithful retainer is removed from the game. When you lose soup kitchens, then soup kitchens goes into the discard pile. And thus, somebody could craft soup kitchens and win the game with soup kitchens. Right? <laughs> sure, yeah. You, and you never want that to happen. So right. keep soup kitchens locked up in the retinue. <laughs> but like, especially if you have like an ambush in the retinue or a craftable, you know? Granted, these things are only going to come when you reshuffle the deck, and that's only a few turns or whatever. But, you know, if you're trying to optimize, it makes sense to get rid of the faithful retainers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, but still hurts, though. Yeah. Still I mean, hurts. I would rather get rid of a suited normal card than one of my faithful retainers. Absolutely. But if I'm choosing between, like, a bird ambush and a faithful retainer, you choose the faithful retainer. I think we nailed this one. Jake, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, Jake, losing a card from the bird retinue is always bad. I, I, I guess so. <laughs> I guess not. I guess not. 
<laughs> I guess not. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we actually busted this myth. I, I, I think that this myth just needed some clear clarity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that was a very clear myth. <laughs> All right, I'm going to end series two off with a big old statement here. Okay. This, I wouldn't call it a myth. I'd call it a statement, which is Root is the greatest game of all time. Does this even need to be like explained? It's just objectively I don't true. I, somebody give me any reason why it's not the greatest game of all time. That's what I'm that's where I'm going to start this conversation. It's um well, it takes up a lot of space. It is a table hog, yeah. Um yeah, I mean, I guess if you're not into war games then you won't think very highly of Root, but for a subjective statement, I think it's pretty close to objectively true. I mean, we can just go over to BGG right now and take a... Wait, what? <laughs> Wait a second. Are you guys seeing the same BGG I am? It's Wait. Not, it's not number one? Why is Root not number one on Board Game Geek? This Are we on right. Google Images from, like, previously? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, that's a joke that's going to happen in, like, five minutes. Uh, Jake, mention that in a little bit. <laughs> okay, I'll come up with a joke for later. <laughs> oh, I do see Raw in here. That's fun. But come on! Well, this, you're just looking at is, the hotness, Kyle. It, this is an out... Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm still outraged. All right, so, so search root, and then click on root, and then you'll see at right... Near the top there, it says rank overall 28. 28? This can't be a double-digit game. I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. All right, well, we're going to have to get deeper into this at some point. Yeah, we're going to have to go through each one of these games and explain (laughs) why Root is greater than these games. My outrage demands it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so is it the greatest game of all time? Yes. Cool, I agree. (laughs) Jake, root Any the objections? greatest game of all time. <gasps> root, 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 You know, I was thinking about um, games the other day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that'll lead right in. Wait, what? <laughs> you don't need to lead us in. I just did. <laughs> we already cold opened it. Wait, so you, you gave yourself one sentence to prep for asking, have you guys played any games lately? That was your first intro. Was, have you played any games lately? And then your intro for that is, I was thinking about the concept of games. Recently? <laughs> Something about our conversation got me thinking. <laughs> Have you guys played any games? <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hey, Sam and Kyle. Okay, then we'll start there. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Now you can use this for the beginning. That's good. Y'all play any cool games lately? I played Star Wars the deck building game multiple times. Tell us more. I really enjoyed it. You guys have played Star Realms slash Hero Realms, I'm sure. Yeah, I've played yes. some Star Realms. Yeah. Um, this greatly improves upon it, in my estimation. It's a game where one player is the Rebels, one player is the Empire. You start with uh, mere decks, and there's a row of cards from which you can purchase. But the twist here is that many of the cards are faction-specific. They are either Rebel or Empire, so only one side can buy each of them. But for many of them... They also have a damage threshold that the opponent can do, and that removes, if they do choose to target the card in the middle row there, they actually are removed from the row, and there's a reward for that player. So there's like incentive to take things out instead of just buy stuff to make your deck better. Uh, it's pretty great. Highly recommend it. It's from Fantasy Flight. We did a video to uh, for their tutorial for them that's on their YouTube channel. And can you have a bake sale in this game? On Alderaan, you can, but if only before the Death Star comes in the game, because okay. all bake sales on Alderaan end once the once the Death Star's out. Yeah, that's good thematic gaming. That's just like the movies. Yeah, that's no <laughs> moon pie. I don't know Star Wars well enough to know that line. <laughs> that's that that's no moon. Right. Oh, is that because it's a Death Star? It's a Death Star. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which one is that one in? Uh, Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> i've seen that one yeah <laughs> have you played any good games lately i played a lot of blood on the clock tower recently oh man we gotta talk about this it's so good um what else i got the new raw i haven't played it yet but pretty excited about reiner Knizia's oh raw. man everybody i've seen this game pop up in my life like five different times i still haven't got a chance to play i heard it's really fun yeah when you said raw i thought you meant like a wrestling game like monday <laughs> yeah. night raw yeah 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 but you mean ra like the egyptian <laughs> god right the, the the sun god raw mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh you know the one who wants you to do all those auctions Ah, uh, um, yeah. Yeah. I just love I'm a sucker for an auction game and we don't have an auction faction in root yet. Riverfolk eh, yeah. kind of close. Yeah, they're close. <laughs> Probably close enough from Root's game design perspective. We don't but... really have money in this game from which to auction with. But I mean that doesn't stop like a game like QE, which doesn't need money. You just make it up. <laughs> well, you do have money. You just never touch it and it's kind of ephemeral. <laughs> yeah, and if you spend too much of it, you lose. Yeah. I've uh, taught that game to some friends for the first time and their uh, one friend had a nightmare about it the next night. <laughs> I never had a friend had a nightmare about a, a board game before, but QE I, did it to him. I hear the expansion is really good for that. I didn't even know there was an expansion until like two weeks ago, and that blew my mind. I haven't tried it yet, but I read about it, and it's awesome. It adds like commodities, which is great. Yeah, and it's like a reward for coming in second in the auction. Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, oh, that's really smart. Because yeah. sometimes in that game, you're like, all right, well, two players are playing this game, and one of them <laughs> will win, and one of them will spend too much money. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm tr still trying to figure out what number to write, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the yeah. best. It's a good game. Yeah. Do you know this game, Kyle? 
Yes, we've played this game together before, and I love it okay. so much. It's so clever. It makes me laugh, and it's very competitive at the same time. And I feel like there's so few games that really nail that balance like QE does. Mm-hmm. It's really good. I also love a game where you get to just write something in your own handwriting down and then show everybody. <laughs> that's really fun. Yeah, We don't have oh that faction either in Root. How, you're right. <laughs> how many... Uh, how quickly does that game just turn into you write a number, but then you're also like writing a bunch of notes to the <laughs> yeah, to the person, yeah. you know, bunch what of I mean? sarcasm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just little pictures of them like dying. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's always death portraits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the only kind of drawings I do. My yeah. second grade teacher thought I was disturbed. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's why uh, you had to switch schools so much, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that and um. I worked for the government. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. You know Spy Kids? That's based on me. Yeah, yeah. I'm one of the Spy Kids. <laughs> I grew up and aged horribly, but I uh, am one of the Spy Kids. I will say that the game I've been focused on a lot recently is chess because the World Chess Championship is happening right now. Ooh. And former World Chess Champion Magnus Carlsen is not participating. He's stepped away from the crown. And so... What? Kind of top two other players besides Magnus Carlsen are now competing against each other for the title of world champion. What? What is this guy's deal? Yeah, wait. What's he, what's, why what's he is doing? he not participating? Who has a crown and steps away from it? He just, he, it seemed like he was kind of bored with it. Yeah, well, that's With fair. being world champion. How many times was he world champion? I think it was like five in a row. That's not enough to get bored. Yeah. You need like a 10-year reign before you really get bored. Uh, well, they, they happen every two years. So it was it was actually a 10-year reign. Ah, okay. Touche, Kyle. Touche. 10 years okay. is a long time to be the yeah. best chess player in the world. He just looked around in his hotel penthouse suite and saw all the chess groupies. He's like, I got to get out of here. This is too <laughs> much. <laughs> but the, well, he uh, should come play some Root. Honestly, I would be so scared to play Root again. Well, actually, it'd be interesting because it's such a social game and chess yeah. is very like... Ooh, yeah. You got to table know, talk him now. Yeah, it could yeah. be real interesting. But, yeah, because uh, if he walks away from a mole crown, he could be like, why are you walking away? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he has to play for 10 years as soon as he starts. That's the rule. <laughs> um, the thing is, is that this chess world championship is like the most exciting one that has happened in a generation. Why? It, because like, literally we don't know who's going to win? We Well... Most of the time, the World Chess Champion, uh, the World Chess Championship games are these long classical games. They're like six hours long. They're just pe- the players slug it out forever, and then it ends in a draw. Like there was a World Championship where I think it was like twelve draws in a row, Ugh. and then there were two more draws, and then they had like a tiebreaker, and it was just very unsatisfying because they had to What's eventually a play. They play like a fast game of Clask time. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly that dexterity really matters <laughs> uh they had to play like a tiebreak game where there was like one side gets a little more time than the other side but if it's a draw then the time the side with less time wins <laughs> like oh. it's just like the rules slightly change they have to play faster it's just it's not really the same at all yeah uh but they had to break the tie because it was just draws forever it's like this time kicks. around this time around they there have been six games uh, seven games as of today, and there have been uh, five decisive games. Only two draws so far. Wow. All the rest have been wins or losses. And uh, this is just shocking. Also, the players are playing like crazy openings 
just like lots of different ones that are really unexpected, trying to throw each other off guard. Mm-hmm. We just learned that the second, the kind of, uh, uh, they, they have players that work with them kind of as like coaches or, you know, teammates or whatever. They're called the seconds. It's like a duel or something. Um, we just found out that one of the seconds is this guy, Richard Rapport, who is famous for being a like total daredevil chess player. And he's working with the guy who's like the most buttoned up, like safe player. And so like, these two together are creating some like insane. <laughs> He's the bad boy of the chess world. I can't help but think about his Lamborghini comes crashing through a window when he's coming into the tournament scene. No, he's great. He wears like like loud shirts and has long hair and just like rolls up to the board and just like he's plays constantly wild evading the police. Uh, <laughs> what are what are the names of some of the openings that are crazy? Like I always love chess op- like chess move names like the Peruvian Gambit. Or like, <laughs> so the names uh, of the openings are going to be a little disappointing. So we've had a Roy Lopez, a Roy uh, Lopez, yeah, I, that delicious. That's drink. a great name. Yeah. It's, a, it's, really fun. it's called the Spanish opening. Yes, it's the sex it's position. I thought. We've <laughs> <laughs> had the French defense today, which was like mm-hmm. almost never played at the top level. It uh, wasn't me. More like the Maginot <laughs> wine. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, I would say ten out of ten. Fantastic series. If you are into chess at all, really worth checking out. All right, I'll leave a link for google.com slash chess and uh, check it out. (laughs) Have you guys noticed that the Google search engine totally sucks now? Have you seen this? It like happened today. Google like Google cream corn right now. Or, or like this is is a trap. Cream (laughs) corn? I don't know. Whatever. Okay, hold on. Fish heads. Oh, did you mean creamed corn? I did. So it looks like it's correcting me, all right? Yeah, no, that's fine. But, like, scroll down. Don't you just see, like, images and stuff? Like, there's not, like, the normal, like, links that you're used uh, to. I got a lot of recipes, but they're all recipe websites. Hold on. So are you, just, are we, you know, I'm not seeing oh, cream you know corn Maybe it's fixed itself by this point. Oh, for okay. a while it was broken. Because they were Is trying to throw Is it possible you were the... on Google Images, Sam? Wait, what's Google Images? <laughs> Okay, yeah, I'm getting a lot of... There's, like, a surprising number of Facebook pages about fish heads. Okay, all right. Maybe it was just me for a little bit. Uh, or me and a lot of Twitter, I guess. This has been the Tech File. <laughs> uh, New my, segment. My pitch is that we just take all this, like, game talk, we just throw it at the end. <laughs> Why are you always pitching to throw my openings in the end? No! <laughs> You always do this, and then I gotta put it at the end. And then we also keep the audio. We're like, we should put this at the end, and then it just ends awkwardly. Well, I think okay, because <laughs> it's just like extra game talk. It feels like Patreon stuff to me. It doesn't feel related to Root since we haven't mentioned that once, except for like trying to get Magnus Carlson to play Root. Um, but I think it's fun audio, and I want to yeah. keep it, so I yeah. feel like it should go at the end. Okay, actually, would you edit this episode? <laughs> All right, fine. You know, no, no. I really to... want somebody else to edit this. No, I don't have the time. Will you edit it? Because if you want, you can. I don't have the time either. Okay, okay. I I will take I'm it under very suggestion. Grateful. I'm not trying. To, I'm it not was... being passive aggressive. I, no, no, no. I'm not being passive aggressive. I really just want you to edit this. I just <laughs> I can't hear this. I... You can't save yourself for sincerity here. It oh no, it feels I... like every time being... you... I was joking, but like, a, but I'm not being passive aggressive. <laughs> Okay, it's now at the end of the episode. So now we want to start now. Start the start now? Well, yeah, because now we got to do a new cold open because all that cold open's gone. Okay. And don't reference anything we've said in the past 20 minutes. <laughs>